Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. All right. Well, welcome to JS Party, where every week it's a party in JavaScript. Uh, I'm Faras. I'm uh, going to be hosting this week. Uh, first week, and um, I'm here with uh, three awesome panelists. The first is Suze Hinton. Suze, you want to say hi? Hello. Nice. And the second uh, panelist is uh, Nick Nisi. Hello. Cool. And then uh, last but not certainly not least is uh, Alex Sexton. Hi, everybody. I'm back. Cool. So uh, we're going to be talking today about some really fun stuff. I'm super excited about our topic for this week. We're, we're going through a bunch of things, things from... Uh, old DOM APIs to our favorite HTML tags, weird websites, uh, nostalgia, a bunch of old stuff, um, web, maybe web security and surprising and weird websites. I'm so pumped for this episode. Nice. So, um, so let's, let's just get right into it. The first topic is favorite HTML tags. So uh, maybe Suze, you want to go first and just tell us what HTML tag you selected as your favorite. Yeah. So we were talking about weird tags that not always necessarily used to this day. And so I went a bit nostalgic and my favorite sort of um, weird old HTML tag is the map tag where you make image maps, which are like super fun. So um, I think most of you were doing HTML on on this panel uh, back when image maps were really popular, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never, I never actually used one myself. Oh, really? No, yeah. Never, never used it. Image maps were the best for adding uh, like, uh, what are they called? Uh, secret parts of websites you click on like this the eyeball of someone's eye and then you get to go to some link yes (laughs) it's so true and it was yeah it was like an easter egg way of doing things but it also meant that instead of having to have all of these separate pieces of an image and tile them all together in some kind of table layout you know in order to create these different hotspots you could click on you could essentially um apply a map HTML tag to a matching like image tag and you could set up these regions I guess and you it was kind of similar to SVG where you could either draw like a rectangle or you could draw polygons and then each little hotspot would end up being a, a, a href just to go somewhere else which was really really awesome so you could have a map with lots of different cute little buildings and landmarks and that could be the navigation for your website and so the reason why I really liked it was because to the, looking back over it it was like kind of weird but it did solve a pretty like 
awkward problem that we had where we couldn't sort of lay things out as nicely like what we have with grid layout these days um and it just forced people to be really creative like the the navigations that people made with it especially was like really really entertaining and there were all these really cool online tools that allowed you to generate these image maps so you could actually draw the polygons instead of having to hand code them and so there was this really cool culture of being able to um push the limits of this html tag for sure Suze, do you know, was this, ta- was this tag created before there were tables? Because I'm thinking like maybe you could simulate this with the, with the table. You could, you could have like an image in every cell and then just make, like, so like slice up the image basically and then put, put each piece into, uh, into a cell in, in a table. And then you could like link, like linkify a few of them. That's really funny that you say that. I was thinking the same thing for us and uh, I I went to check the historic records of the Space Jam website to see if that's what they were using, if they were using <laughs> the map. Uh, but they are not. They are using a table and putting each image into cells. Oh, Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I should, I should have researched that, but I'm not actually sure when it did come about. Um, and I remember those days of creating like an entire layout and then using like slicing apps in Photoshop and things like that. But I feel like um, instead of image maps now, we have we still have table layouts a lot of the time in emails. And so each little region is like um, a clickable cell, I guess. So I guess we've kind of seen that approach live on in a lot of HTML emails, even if they're not using map anymore. The map was uh, first introduced in the HTML 4.01 specification. Uh, so I think tables predate uh, map by a good chunk. Interesting. Well, I guess you can do other shapes in map too, besides the square. Right. So that's a that's a, that's a unique feature. It's certainly a superset of uh, the like linkability possibilities. But I think there are other reasons to do table layouts because you actually wanted like certain cells to shift width based on the content and things like that. So it wasn't always just a single image. That's true. Yeah. But still very uh, good deep cut. Cool. So Alex, you want to share your tag? Unless there's anything else we have to add about map. No, we're good. Oh yeah, actually, I'm, 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 cu- I'm curious actually, uh, real, real quick, actually, is does map still work today? Is it is part part of the like spec or is deprecated oh i should have looked that up i believe it's still yeah it's still, it's still in the living standard i guess it's pro is it rec- recommended to use it still or is it is it discouraged uh well it was only uh a recommendation in 4.01 and 5 and now it's just part of living standard so i i don't cool i don't see anywhere where it says that it's discouraged or anything like that i i think it's it's just shouldn't be used for the things we used to use it for. It's actually great for linking parts of an image, but it's bad for page layout. Yeah, I think that we have much better tools these days for doing this. And I think that websites almost have like moved on to the point where we sort of want a nice structural hierarchy rather than an Easter egg you have to hunt to find stuff. <laughs> yeah, and interestingly, you can't have the map tag without, I think, the area tag, right? So you kind of get two for one weird tags um, with with this deep cut. So the area tag is just like how you define the coordinates of, um, you know, a shape that you want to link inside of a map. Uh, so if you ever wanted to use the area tag, there you go. Of course, all the examples, even in the living spec are still fully capitalized, uh, examples of like all the, all the text that's like map area, href. Just, I love it. That's awesome. It's just good. 
I'm happy about that. Cool. Alex, tell us about your your favorite tag. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be a jerk and, and mention a few, uh, mostly because they're not that interesting to talk about uh, deeply. Uh, my my favorite tag, I think, has always been um, an, an, a DL tag. Um, but one of the reasons I like it is because the, the thing that that stands for, they changed it between HTML4 and 5. So it used to be a definition list, uh, and a, defi- a definition list uh, like contained... Uh, so it's a DL element, and it can contain DTs uh, and DDs, which are like definition titles and definition somethings. <laughs> um, the cool thing about it was it was kind of like uh, an unordered list or, or like a UL tag, but you could have like unlimited definitions of single titles. It was just kind of, it's one of the worst like uh, elements for hierarchy because it's just, you give the DT and then everything after it is going to be, any DD after it, like you could have 10, you could have zero, is going to like apply to the this sibling element rather than being inside of the DT, which I always thought was weird. And then uh, it mostly didn't change what you use it for, but they thought it was a better like um, uh, definition of the DL to call it a description list instead of a definition list because that like opens up wider possibilities. It doesn't have to be like this is a word and these are the five meanings. But you can imagine like a dictionary has the word that's the so it has a DL and the word is the DT and then all the possible definitions would be DD elements um, and and that was kind of cool. Um, but whatever. Yeah, the next one is the WBR element, which is uh, the word break opportunity element, and it just gives the renderer uh, the ability. It says, if you have to break up this sentence, here's a really good spot to do it. Um, and I think it's underused. A lot of people are trying to use like white space, no wrap, or whatever. Uh, hyphen incantation you need to make that work in CSS but a lot of times if you just like have a good rule of where to inject WBR elements um, they render as like um, you know empty bytes um, and and they don't show up on the page but they tell the renderer where to go and the last one is just a shout out to iframe because it's just it's like there's nothing you can't do with with an iframe and so if I had to actually pick my favorite HTML element to be an iframe it's just uh, too large of a topic to to even broach. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, Nick. All right. So mine uh, is not going to be a popular one, uh, but it got me through so many uh, boring, really boring classes in high school. So I'm going to give a shout out to the applet tag. Uh, and that'll probably seal my fate of never being on this podcast again. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> Turn off his mic. <laughs> uh, y- you know, f- playing old... Java and Flash games um, was a big part of my high school class experience, I guess. So uh, I really liked it. I'm really glad that it's dead. And please don't ever try and use it. I don't think you can anymore. But um, yeah, there was there was a lot of fun games that you could play. Quick question. Uh, yeah, were, were, were memory, random access uh, memory by arbitrary... Uh, attackers a big part of your high school experience as well probably but i was (laughs) oblivious being part of botnets was a big part of my high school experience yeah you know i actually i'm wondering like what's the difference between applet and object and embed because i think all those are like similar right they all let you embed like a flash or java thing um yeah there there were different rules around um 
the access that things initially had. I think initially for the Java stuff, you'd have to have what the uh, the little coffee logo, the Java logo that that came up and spun. But I think like applets had had more like first party access to things, which was scary. But I I think also it's very specific to Java, um, and so embed an object became the IE and and standards version of applet. Uh, for arbitrary third-party things rather than uh, just Java. Also, my first big experience with um, with trying to create, I guess, something more than a web page was with Applet. Uh, in high school, my my school uh, they blocked AOL Instant Messenger for a few days, and in that time, I was reading and learning Java, reading a book on Java, and uh, there was a chat demo in there and I was trying to make that work as an applet. I never really got it to work because I didn't know anything about what I was doing, but uh, it was fun to play with that. <laughs> That's great. I, I remember once I got a PC mag and there was like a Java applet in it with the source code. And, you know, this was before I had the internet. And so I sat there and painstakingly typed the entire uh, application into a um, notepad. And then I didn't actually realize that you actually needed the runtime and all of this other stuff. And I didn't have the internet to get it. So I spent hours typing this thing in. I wanted to put it between applet, you know, in an applet tag. And then I never actually got to do it, which was really sad. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> it ran in your imagination. The the best JVM. Yeah, it was going to be really cool. It was one of those whiteboard apps where you could like draw pictures and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put this on my website. It's going to be awesome. And yeah. What did you end up putting on your website instead? Uh, I found my very first website recently on a floppy disk and it did actually use frames, Alex. So you'll be really happy with that. Right. Um, that is not what I said. I said iframes. It's very Oh, different. that's a good point. Okay. Well, it used frame, <laughs> it used frame set, which is awesome. Um, and it was like, it was me reviewing Pokemon games and talking about how you can um, enable p glitches and stuff in the game. Oh, wow. That's uh, like Smash Brothers ahead of its time. Game glitch. Like in order to like get get hacks and, and go further in the game, right? Yeah. So there was like a Pokemon called Missing Number and you could also missing swim. Missing No, yes, yes. Yeah, Missing No. And you could swim around the SS and boat and things like that. So yeah, there were really cool hacks. Man, that's such a blast from the past. Wow. My first website <laughs> was about motorcycles, uh, I guess like dirt bikes. And I've never ridden a dirt bike before. It's just the guy who taught me how to build websites had a dirt bike website. So I was like, I guess I'll build one of those too. <laughs> My first one was a Mr. T fan page. I think that what? wins. <laughs> Mine was just like a personal site that I put some home movies that I made on. I feel like that's very for us. <laughs> and then your second website ever is the one that uh, we're going to talk about for the second segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First, I got to say my favorite HTML tag. My favorite HTML tag is plain text. Uh, I'm actually curious, ha have any of you heard of it before this? No, I hadn't heard of it before you mentioned it. Yeah, it's a really weird one. And it's like it goes back to the really, really early days of, of um, I think, like the maybe the original Netscape. My impetus for, well, okay, first let me say what it does. So if you put a plain text tag in a page, um, well, for, for, first of all, there's, there's no closing tag. You can't, you can't close it, so it just opens. And then everything that follows the, <laughs> <laughs> everything that follows the plain text tag, it just renders as plain text. And you can't go, you can't stop it. So it just starts making everything after it plain text. 
and you can't you can't undo it or, or close it. I feel like this is the ultimate like um, injected script hack. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it's useful actually for well, it was useful to me at one point in time uh, when and that's why I went looking for something like it because um, when I was doing my my company like in twenty. 2013, I had this idea to make a peer-to-peer content delivery network, uh, not too, not, honestly, not too unlike what WebTorrent does today, but to do it as like a CDN that people would use to power their, to host their static content using uh, WebRTC. And there was no service worker back then, so you couldn't stop resources from loading normally over HTTP um, and then try to load them over WebRTC without having the user like go and change the way they make their website. So like what I wanted to do was make it so that they could just add my script to their website and then like at the top of their website in the head tag. And then I could prevent all the resources later in the page from loading. It wasn't it wasn't possible to like um, wait till the ready event or to try to like select the elements and rewrite to change, you know, to change the source, uh, remove the source attribute from the images or from the videos. It wasn't fast enough. Like the browser was actually doing those HTTP requests um, really, really quickly. Because um, I think it has this like Does look parser. ahead, yeah. Look ahead, yeah, this speculative parser. Yeah, it like finds anything that looks like an HTTP link and it just fires off a request or starts to, you know, open up the connection to the server and all that. So anyway, even if you stopped it, it was like too late. It was already wasting resources. So then I was like, okay, and there's no there was no service worker, so it wasn't possible to like do this properly and intercept the the requests and handle them differently so like what we resorted to was the worst hack ever. We just would document dot write the plain text tag into the top of the page, which would literally just break like would turn would just show all the whole the whole website as HTML. But then we would apply a style attribute to the plain text tag, which was display none. So it would wouldn't show the HTML. It was like hidden, but it was there in the page. And then we we would we did a regular expression over that. What is now a text node in the DOM. The whole like the whole source of the site is like a text node. We'd regex it, change all the source equals to like something else, like data dash source equals, and then uh, inject it back into the into the page. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. And that worked in every browser. That worked in every browser. Yes, uh, in Firefox, it gave you a warning. It was it would warn you about um, how you're slowing down the page load by document right preventing and and for, yeah preventing the. Uh, the, the speculative parser from working. Um, so it knew that like plain text did that and had a special warning for, for like not doing that. Um, but, and so it actually added like half a second of load time and upfront. So it wasn't really a good idea, but it was the only thing that worked. Just for reference, uh, the HTML plain text element uh, has been deprecated since HTML2, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> impressive. It was obsoleted in the spec in HTML5, so it's listed as deprecated, but I think it does not even mentioned anymore. So, yeah, you shouldn't use it. Uh, it doesn't. It was never implemented in all browsers, but uh, it sounds like all the all the big ones have it if, if you were using it to your advantage. Oh, interesting, yeah. I, I just remember we tested the big four and it worked. So I don't know. If, maybe Edge doesn't have it because that wasn't even out then. I don't know. In general... You probably want the pre-element. The interesting thing about it is you you kind of you kind of uh, said it already is like you don't need the closing tag 
And that's because you can't have the closing tag because once you're in plain text, the closing tag would be plain text. Like it can't be parsed <laughs> anymore. Like it's impossible to have a closing tag. It's not that it it wanted like it's not that that's like good. It's just that it must be that way. I love it. Yeah, I'm thinking like the, the thinking of this must this tag must have been to if you if you're trying to serve like HTML source that was readable by the user, then you could start that with a plain text tag or something. That, that then the browser wouldn't wouldn't interpret it as HTML. But I mean, why didn't they just use MIME types or like a content type header or something? I guess that maybe that wasn't around. I don't know. Yeah, th- those things were around, I think, for the most part. But it, if you think about a lot of these early things, it's it's like the web wasn't important yet whenever this stuff was made. And so it's just like, imagine working at your company right now and being like, what if we had like a way for people to show HTML and someone's like, okay, we could just add this tag. And then it's like, no big deal. Um, and then like later, the world relies on your technology. And it's like, hey, no, no one thought this out. And, and I was like, yeah, no one thought this out. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's, it's just so old that like they didn't have to consider how ridiculous it was, I think. It's just like it kind of worked. This episode is brought to you by the O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Make your plans now to attend Fluent in San Jose, California, June 11th through June 14th to learn the latest JavaScript tools and methods. Be part of what past attendees call, quote, a great center for modern web development and disruption, and quote, the best place to see the current state of the web. Use the discount code JSParty to save 20% on most passes. Learn how to build a better web with better user experiences at O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Head to fluentconf.com to learn more and register. going to go right into uh, our second topic, which is uh, the annoying site. This actually started out as uh, sort of an experiment where I was trying to figure out uh, what web APIs could be abused uh, and like which were sort of designed in a way that maybe were open to just like un- unintended or unexpected uses. And so I was like looking through all of the different web APIs I could find on Mozilla, you know, on the MDN site and just thinking like, okay, so I see. So there's a permission prompt on this one or there's a restriction in this way, but like what if we did this differently? What what could we do? Um, and what, what what kind of site could we put together? And then just, just like went through each one and just thought of like could, how could this feature be used to make the most annoying possible site? And I just put them all into one <laughs> into one site and uh, that's what you can visit at, you know, theannoyingsite.com. But if you visit that, fair warning, like do it in an alternative browser or in an incognito window, um, because it is actually, you know, gonna, it'll do some things. <laughs> uh, it won't, it's, it's not outright malicious, but it'll uh, certainly, it, it, it can log you out of some uh, sites that you're logged into, like your Google account, you'll just get logged out of it. And uh, for, for us, I, I think we're starting like at this, uh, at this point, uh, where we know what it is. And so it's like, the first thing you want to do is warn people. But what, what happens when you when you go to the website? So, so you see a, a sort of innocent picture of a cat, uh, and then it says, you know, to get started, click the cat. Um, actually, it suggests that you hold down the space bar because that actually causes a more disastrous outcome. Basically, uh, as soon as you do either of those things, uh, you click on the cat or you, you press space, uh, it will pop up um, one or more pop-up windows that can actually move around your screen. 
um, and they move uh, they move around and bounce off the edges of the screen, making it really hard to close the windows with you know with your mouse to hit the X button because the windows windows physically moving around and bouncing around your screen, um, and then it tries to prevent you from getting out of that. Um, it, even with the keyboard shortcuts, so if you if you hit Command W to close the window, it, that gets intercepted with a with a pop up that can actually block that shortcut from working, um, and it does it does like a bunch more things. Like it um, vibrates your device if you're on a mobile device. It puts text on your clipboard. It shows the print dialog. Uh, it tries to ask for your camera. It tr- turns on your your uh, uh, full. Sc- it does full screen mode. It um, asks you if you're sure if you want to leave the website if you're trying to leave. It blocks the back button from working. It fills your history with with uh, embarrassing searches. It um, navigates the tab that actually linked to this site uh, so that it takes over more of your tabs. Um, it and and on and on. So and and I'm actually thinking of more things to add to it because there's actually a few more things I just learned about, like the uh, what, the speech synthesis API. Actually, apparently that one doesn't even. Is, is unmutable. If you try to mute a tab, like you can still make sound from the tab if you use the speech synthesis API. So I got to add that one to it for sure. But there, yeah, it's just like it's actually just just a crazy number of things you can you can do. Why did why did you make this? Uh, you you were trying to annoy someone. I just thought it was interesting that you could move windows around. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, I mean, so yeah. Th- there's also kind of a story. Like I was I was uh, trying to get revenge on a spammer. Basically, <laughs> I was trying to waste their time because they wasted my time. So I. I wanted to send them a link that could, you know, make them force quit their browser and lose whatever work they had unsaved. That was the idea. And so, yeah, it, I actually sent it. I responded to the spammer and uh, I assume it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Some Nigerian prince just got downgraded to Duke. <laughs> so let's uh, jump into, I guess, like uh, some of the the repercussions of such a large array of abuse, like all chained together. So, so I think the interesting thing is that, like, any one of these APIs slightly abused is like within the realm of like that maybe is a decent trade-off by the browser because you want people to use this or you want it to be accessible without having to like click on a bunch of permissions or you want it to be on by default so people actually use it, uh, things like that. But then also like if you string a bunch of these things together or use them in the worst possible imagined way, which uh, for us you seem to be exceptionally gifted at, at coming up with, um, the the outcome is, is like to the extent of maybe not like a... Uh, like a violation of privacy or anything like that, but certainly like can destroy someone's entire browsing session, which is like on the edge of security and just like extreme dark UI. Yeah, I was going to ask for us, were you afraid to push this live or how did you feel when you sent this URL back to the spammer? Uh, I mean, so yeah, the p- part of me was like worried that doing this would would end up causing these APIs to get restricted in some way. I mean, that was my main concern. Like, I I, I don't want the web to get crippled. And I mean, you can kind of already see like some of this stuff happening. I mean, there's been like times in the past where where um, the browsers have had to dial back some of the power of these different APIs. So like like new APIs require HTTPS a lot of the time, um, or they they're not available. Um, uh, th- there's also there was also an issue where WebRTC, which is used to do peer-to-peer connections, was was able to gather your local IP address, which is useful for connecting to people who are on the same Wi-Fi network as you um, in a really efficient way, because then you can just connect directly to their local IP. Um, but there were website, there were literally ads that were 
were creating WebRTC connections to nowhere um, and just gathering your local IP address, which is additional data they could use to track you, because that might not change. Uh, that might be that that IP address might stay the same even if you clear your cookies. Um, so that that was basically like really bad, and so they like took that feature away, which is I mean just just makes like the connections worse, right? But but then the trade off was if you give the website permission to use your camera and your microphone, then that local IP address uh, then comes back. So you're allowed to use that again. So because idea is like if you're giving your camera permission, and your microphone, that's like already more intimate than your than your local IP. So go ahead and let, you know, let the local IP go through. But that hurts use cases like like WebTorrent or any other WebRTC use case that doesn't use the microphone or the, or the camera because then you know, now you have like worse route. Um, and then there's like, I'm trying to think, there's like a few, few, more, few, more, ca- few more cases like this. On the IP address, just because that's interesting, like the, the other interesting thing about that and, and maybe a bunch of these are you can't really pop up to normal users. This site would like to know your local IP address, right? That, like, right. that doesn't mean anything. You can say this site wants to access your camera, your location, and that means things. But this site wants to know your local IP address is just meaningless. And so how do you, how does a browser solve for that? Like they can't necessarily do that easily. The whole thing reminds me a lot of Evercookie. Um, I don't know if you remember that this is a similar type of project where like cookies can be cleared and browsers are doing a better job of like allowing people to block third-party cookies and things like that um and there's a guy named uh sammy uh Kamkar, who's kind of a security researcher he he got famous for the uh sammy is my hero myspace vulnerability uh way back in the oh, day yeah. but myspace offered famously offered him a job um after he hacked myspace or whatever and it was just like some script injections that automatically made people friend him uh, and write Sammy as my hero on their their MySpace wall or whatever. I don't think it was called a wall. When they offered him a job, they flew him out to L.A. And then when he got to L.A., they arrested him under uh, like the uh, not espionage, like the Patriot Act. And then he couldn't use a computer. But the day he came back, he released uh, uh, Evercookie, which... Um, used flash cookies and then it used java applets and then it used uh you know local storage and then session storage it used every possible way it used the window history api it used um just about every last little tiny thing that you could possibly use to store data it even used like old exploits in java that you could run in order to accidentally leak memory into other parts of the system um so the only way whenever ever cookie came out to not have the data permanently stored was to delete your browser and reinstall it. Uh, and even then, uh, unless, like I think Safari, you could be in private mode and just restart it. Um, the The idea was uh, not that people would use this, though they did. Uh, advertisers immediately started implementing Evercookie um, as part of ads that they do. But the browsers now had like, a clear list of ways like here's this one thing that we need to beat because it does everything and if we beat this it's unlikely that someone could come up with this much stuff so i actually think the annoying site is a really good use case for browsers in the same way because evercookie does not work in any browser anymore um and it it became a really useful tool to know exactly what to try to prevent so i think you did a good thing here Thanks. Yeah, I've, I've actually had this type of thing happen to sites I made before, too. Like, I made one that fills up your hard drive using local storage. Uh, it was uh, if you, and that doesn't work anymore because browsers also used it in 
in their like testing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually it's actually good. I think to to push this stuff to its limits, and I mean, because I think there are some some reasonable things that people can 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 uh, improve. I was hoping maybe we could quickly go through um, go through just some of the APIs and have y'all guess whether they require user permission or uh, or not. <laughs> yeah, there's like three levels, right? It's you can do it automatically, you can do it after user interaction, and then you need explicit permission. Maybe those are the three. Yes, those are the three. Yeah, so user user interaction means like any kind of event that is explicitly the user is interacting with the site. So that doesn't include things like scroll um, or mouse move because those are just those are going to happen like way too easily. Just things like clicks, taps, or key presses. So there's yeah, so that's that's considered user initiated gesture. Only because you mentioned it, and it was super interesting when I saw you give a talk about this. Uh, you mentioned mouse move just now. I did not know. Um, that if you move a browser window window under someone's mouse, so technically, like there is a differential in the the browser window and the mouse, that mouse move is fired the same. Like the mouse is not moving, the browser is moving. Um, and and <laughs> yeah. you, you said that the mouse move fires the same as if you were moving the mouse over it. And I just thought that was interesting enough to to tell everyone. It's quite useful to know that. You can you can make uh, you can make a browser window follow the user's mouse around by by using that trick. Anyway, so okay, so let's go through this. So it's uh, let's again, I'm going to be pretty quick because I have a like decently long list here. So okay, so uh, open a pop up window. That one's definitely user interaction. That's the first user interaction. That's like the the poster child of uh, why like pop up blockers work on this whole thing of like an event must be explicitly tied, right? Yep, yep, that's right. Okay, cool. Okay, what about if you want uh, to vibrate a de- the device? Actually, make the make the phone vibrate. I don't want to be the only one answering, but that one's free. Yeah, I feel like you need no permission for that. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so actually, ads used to be vi- used to vibrate device people's devices. I think they now restrict it to the top level domain. But yeah, it's crazy. Uh, okay, next one. Um, say you want to focus a window. So this is going to be like a pop up window that you've popped up in the past, and you want to focus it, bring it to the front. Yeah, as long as you control it, there's no permission needed. Uh, actually, you need to do that in a click handler, in my experience. If you popped up the window in a click handler, then even to like refocus the old one, you need another click? Oh, I haven't tried that. But uh, to refocus the pop-up window, once the main window's been back. refocused, that re- that need yet to go back to the pop-up and bring that to the front, that was that would require user interaction. Interesting. I think I've seen that with PayPal, actually. So there are times when the, it, the modal didn't work and it was a pop-up instead. And then if you just refocus back, it would end up having to make you click to go back to it. And I remember that kind of loop. So it reminds me of that. Okay, what about uh, copying text to the user's clipboard? Ooh. Gesture. Yeah, I think that needs an action, right? Yeah, that's, that's still right. abused a lot, though. Because you know when you copy a paragraph from like a news website and then when you paste it they've like inserted an extra bit into your key into your clipboard i hate that so much did uh flash have different restrictions with that like could you do it without any kind of gesture uh, i believe that also required a gesture okay what about reading text off of the off of the clipboard so the user copied some text from another program on their computer and then they go to they go to the site can the site like what is can the site read the text i think that's never right not anymore, actually. So there's there's a new API that lets you read it, but it requires explicit permission, of course, because you could have copied like a password or something from from another app. What's the API? Uh, it's like window dot or sorry, navigator dot clipboard something or other. I don't remember. Uh, okay, what about uh, showing the print dialog? Like, do you want to print this web page? That one is free. How do you how do you know all these, Alex? I'm just. Uh 
intuiting. He's just very confident. <laughs> well, if you if you think about like how print dialogues work, a lot of times you click on some link on on a bank website and it brings you to a page and then like four seconds later a print dialogue pops up. Right. So that just implies yep, to me yep. that there was no user interaction. But it stops everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's like freezes the event loop while the dialogue is open. And the other thing that's cool is it, well, cool, depending on your definition of cool, but it actually prevents you from closing pop-up windows because what you can do is command W is actually blocked. Uh, you can't intercept that and, pre and prevent that from, from closing the window, but you can, you can open up a print dialogue when the user presses command and then that will actually prevent the W from closing the window. But then all your windows stop moving around the page, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the downside, yeah. Um, okay, what about turning on the user's flash? The flashlight. No idea. I don't know this one, yeah. I, I assume user interaction, right? I hope. <laughs> oh, wow. No, user, user interaction would be, I, I think that would not be enough. <laughs> I don't know. So it's actually, so first you have to get camera permission. And then once you have a camera object, you can, you can uh, turn on the flash. It's, it's more for like a camera app to be able to let, to expose UI to the user, to let them select the like camera settings. Like, do they want to turn the flash on or the, you know, change the, the zoom levels and stuff like that. Uh, okay, what about triggering a file download? No permission required. It takes one interaction, but then after that, it's free. I don't think you need anything. Yeah, Susan's right. Yeah, you get one free one free file download because you've seen those sites that go five, four, three, two, one, and then the file downloads. Uh, it's the same thing that you said. It's similar to print, basically. A new page can just do it, but only only once. And then further file downloads need need uh, additional user interactions. So I got it exactly backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then here I'll, we got we got a lot, lot more, but I don't know if we have time. So I'll just throw in a maybe a couple more the most interesting ones. Okay. What about so if a site links to your site and someone cl and click someone clicks that link to load up your site in a new tab. Um, so the tar so the linking site used target equals underscore blank to open up that in a new tab. Can your site navigate the site that linked to it and like take that tab to another location? Yes. It has access to the window object via the referrer, unless they use the no referrer attribute. Yes, that, that's right. Yeah, the 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 it's called window.opener and it gives you a pointer to the window of the other other tab. And fun fact, actually, both the tabs are going to have the same event loop. You need the ability to access the other when the other tabs window object synchronously. So the two sites on different origins are actually sharing an event loop. Wow. And this is a huge security hole as well. Like a lot of sites are vulnerable to this. Yeah, this is why the, the redirect uh, pattern is pretty common to, to throw a middleman in between uh, on like if you click on Slack, it's like slackreader.com slash the actual URL, all that kind of stuff, just to like make sure this never happens. Same with Outlook and a bunch of others. It's just surprising that you can combine. I think it's surprising that you can combine all these things in, into into like one event handler. So like the one click can do all the things. I'll say uh, kind of the meta benefit of all this is that because this page is so annoying and bad, you can take other security vulnerabilities. So I, I try to report as many vulnerabilities as I can. A lot of times they're not that serious, like uh, an open redirect or something like that on, on some web page. It's like, oh, this allows me to put an arbitrary JavaScript, which allows me to do a window.location, which allows me to like link someone to a page that will redirect them somewhere else. And a lot of times we're like, oh, we don't consider that 
that harmful or whatever. But then you stick the annoying site into the redirect and they're like, oh, this is serious <laughs> because someone went to our website and now they're at this terrible, terrible website. Um, and so it, it actually has been helpful in people taking things like open redirects seriously. Um, in my experience in the two weeks I've been adding it uh, into things. So good work. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Smith, senior producer here at Changelog. You know how important it is to stay in the know. And our weekly newsletter helps you and thousands of other developers do exactly that. It's the developer news that matters, nothing more and nothing less. Visit changelog.com and subscribe today. Cool. So let's talk about our favorite weird website now. So I want to get into like the nostalgic old web stuff. Back when the web used to be weird, back when the web used to be mostly full of like bizarre stuff. Um, maybe that stuff's still out there. I don't know, but it does certainly feel to me like the web is less weird than it used to be. Um, maybe that's just cause maybe it's, maybe there's more weird stuff, but maybe like the other kind of corporate normal, like normal world internet is like more present. So we don't see the weird stuff as much. I don't know, but anyway, weird websites, let's talk about them. I have a few that I remember that I liked a lot, uh, when I was a kid, uh, in high school, middle school, I remember Homestar Runner, uh, Newgrounds, Albino Black Sheep, a lot of these uh, flash sites where people posted animations and games. And um, man, I wasted so much time on those, specifically like uh, Homestar Runner and, and Newgrounds. They were just so delightful. I remember having so much fun. And yeah, the web couldn't really do anything like that back then. So we, so everyone used flash for that. And it was, uh, it was great. It, it meant that, uh, we had sort of like pseudo video type animations and, uh, there's some really like a ton of creativity just came out of that. Um, I think, and you know, it even actually, I think the, the, even people used to actually upload videos that were like encoded in some really bad format and play them back in flash player too. So like there was even videos like early, early internet videos on some of these sites done via flash like star wars kid and and like all the originals yes yes yeah. <laughs> yes i think it's really interesting that there's all this creativity back then uh with technology like flash that wasn't necessarily free or um as open as like the open web is now and you could do a lot of this stuff today but maybe i'm just old but i don't see as much of that now now that it's free and open and much easier uh, much lower barrier to entry you just don't see it as much which is interesting yeah, I guess you can just record a video on your phone and post it rather than have to learn Flash in order to encode it and then upload it with its own custom UI. Yeah, but it, including things like the the cartoons on like Homestar Runner or Albino Black Sheep, I remember watching a lot of those, but I don't see a lot of like HTML5 cartoons. I don't know if I've seen any. Well, I mean, there's still plenty of cartoons on YouTube, right? Yeah, that's true. I think it's that classic form of like 
you know, the existence of constraints is what forces people to be super creative. I think that's how that conversation right there can be summed up. And I really enjoyed that time of the web a lot. I was a Flash developer. And so I was so heavily inspired by David Firth, who made Salad Fingers and a bunch of other super dark Flash animation videos. And it made me want to be more creative with Flash because, you know, at the time I was a Flash developer making banner ads for the internet. And, you know, that was where capitalism really started ruining all of this creative stuff. Um, so that was really good for me to have on the side to push me to still do silly things in Flash at the time. Uh, real talk, did you make the punch the monkey to win a prize uh, banner ad? No, that was not <laughs> me. And I feel like I sleep at night well knowing that that wasn't me. <laughs> what was the worst thing, worst ad that you ever made? Uh, I made this thing and it was really awkward and it was this flash, um, it was like a one of those flash takeover websites and it was like super interactive, there was all this video and stuff and it was called The Womb. And so it was just a really awkward theme where there were these people covered in like um, slime lying on the floor and there were these things floating around them that you had to click on. And it was just awkward. That was an ad? <laughs> yes, that was an ad. Did everyone do Flash for us? Did you ever do any Flash development? No, no, I never actually learned how to do Flash development. I, I didn't really do proper programming until like later and then I just learned JavaScript. I, I did collect Flash though, Flash animations, and I put them onto a website that was kind of like a knockoff of Newgrounds. It was all my favorite stuff, you know, just re-hosted it basically. Yeah, yeah, you can tell how, you know, my, my I started out as a, you know, anyway. <laughs> yeah, actually, th th that's uh, maybe a side conversation, but we were talking a lot about Flash, and I built some Flash stuff. I think one of my first real web pages was my sister's soccer team's web page, which is fully Flash, and I would, like, go to the games and keep stats, and, and then there was, like, something to build a website for. But uh, I pirated the entire Adobe suite and learned all that stuff, um, you know, as a young kid. I'm sure downloaded like a thousand viruses on my computer. But like, did y'all start with like legit copies of, of you know, the Flash runtime or builder or whatever? Or did did everyone pirate it? Um, is that is that everyone's history? Yes. <laughs> Once I got a full-time job, I did, I did actually try. But in Australia, if you wanted even Flash, it was $3,000. It oh, was wow. such... And that's in Australian dollars too. It was such an amazing amount of money. And so I would say that there was a huge pirating scene in Australia because if you wanted the master suite of Adobe apps, it was $10,000 at the time. And this was back in 2004. So it was just a horrendous amount of money. Even back then, it seemed like Adobe had to have known that every kid, but like we were talking about free and open. I, th I think Nick, you brought that up. Um, I think at the level of piracy, that was going on with Adobe, it it was essentially free and open. Is that, is that fair to say? Like until Creative Cloud, that seemed like it was the case. That's funny because while I was saying that, I was thinking back to my time like playing with, with Flash and, and those tools and I totally got like a, a pirated copy of that and didn't even, it didn't even register that that's how I got into it too. Yeah. D let it be a lesson to, to people like let kids use your stuff for free and and it will become ubiquitous uh, and eventually uh die uh Suze, did you have more uh you, you brought up a bunch of flash stuff did you have uh, any other ones that you want to bring up yeah i had one last website really quick um and it's called procatinator.com uh so it's p-r-o-cat-inator.com and 
It essentially takes a GIF of a cat, it full screens it, and it finds a super appropriate matching song to go along with it. And every time you refresh the page or every time you click the button for another cat, you just get another random one. And I just love it so much. And if you want to know my favorite one, it is Cat 124, which is a bunch of cats playing ping pong. And the song is just the best match. <laughs> so to be clear, you memorized the like unique ID of the, that specific cat? Is that like yeah, one two four? Yeah, it's digits. Sure. Yeah, okay, but still. <laughs> yeah, so cat one two four. Check it out. Um, it's a great way of procrastinating for sure. And Nick, did you share yours yet? Not yet. Uh, so I put I put two down. Uh, I guess one was uh, I couldn't even remember it. Y T M N D, and I don't know if I would say it's fa- I favorite. I, it was my favorite site, but everyone just sent these videos or these sites to everyone in school all the time. Uh, and it was just these horrible sites that had uh, repeating animated GIF backgrounds uh, and then auto-playing music. And they were just completely random. And I never understood it, but it was they were fun, some of them. I, I can't think of a specific one, unfortunately. Um, I don't even know if the site's still up. Yeah. There was like a Sean Connery one that I remember for sure. It stood for You're the Man Now, dog. <laughs> wow. I never knew that. It's from uh, that that uh, I think it's a movie with uh, Sean Connery. Uh, you're the man now, dog. Uh, <laughs> that's the best I could do. You had an, another one, Nick. Yeah, the uh, million dollar homepage. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember when that was not completely filled out. <laughs> so it was a um, just a square of pixels, a, a million total pixels, and it was a dollar per pixel, and you could pay uh, the whoever hosted the website. Um, a dollar per pixel to to own those pixels forever and then you could put whatever you wanted up there all of it all of the ads that are on there i guess are from that era i don't even know when it ended probably 2004 ish it was pretty interesting seeing that and just like a pretty cool idea i thought like wow that's that's a really cool idea to cash out at a million dollars and then you know i don't know if you were the same as me but as soon as i saw that i'm like how can i do something similar exactly (laughs) (laughs) what what way can i get people to pay me a dollar for something tiny and useless but becomes popular it reminds me a lot of uh bitcoin and altcoins oh man actually um uh, one of my friends has a million dollar homepage type thing where you can but you pay with uh, you pay with his cryptocurrency, so that's actually not too far from what people are are doing. <laughs> there you go. That's the that's how you buy in. I actually had an idea to do a to do a million voxel homepage instead of a million pixel. So you would buy you would buy voxel space in three D in a in a, like a Minecraft like world. So you'd go in and you could buy like basically eff- effectively be buying a plot of land, and that would give you the right to build on that plot of land vertically and you know like up and down underground and up up to to the sky and and then you could put whatever like thing you want there and make it link somewhere that's that's a pretty cool idea and with a frame you could you could do it yeah <laughs> i think i'm up next yeah everyone else is gone uh i i have uh, a few that i like none are, are that cool um if anyone asks me to this day what my favorite game is i'm not lying when i say this it's the helicopter game it's just the best game. Uh, it's If you search for helicopter game, it's a Flash game. It still lives on some website. I don't think it's the original one it used to live on. But it's uh, it's a game. It's one button. It's usually a space bar or the mouse uh, click. And it's just like the, the helicopter goes up um, whenever you click down, and then it starts falling whenever you unclick. Uh, and then you just have to kind of navigate your way through. There was like a, a spaceman or jetpack 
man or jet jet man jet man on facebook got really popular like 10 years after the helicopter game which is the exact same game it's just a guy with a jetpack instead of uh uh, a helicopter but i mean i probably sunk hours and hours into this game the interesting thing was for a while helicopter if you search for it in google the the first result like untainted by my my personal history or whatever like the private window result for helicopter was helicopter game and then the wikipedia entry for helicopters which i thought was pretty cool um i guess not too many people are wikipediaing helicopters compared to playing games but whatever uh as far as like old internet videos i think it used to be on um one of the sites we already talked about uh maybe e-bombs world which we didn't mention by name but uh history of the world that was like uh here's the earth see wrong pretty sweet earth you might say i could probably recite the whole thing that was a funny <laughs> oh video. no 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 yeah. that one was called end of the world end, end of, the, of world. the world sorry sorry not history yeah there's there's history of japan and end of the world yeah that that's that's my bad history of japan is also very good uh for what it's worth if not quite as famous but but somehow both informative and hilarious uh and then probably my last one as far as like actual weird internet uh, i don't know how this one has aged in the uh age of alex not being in uh early high school or middle school anymore so don't judge me if this is now a faux pas but i really used to like maddox's uh best page in the universe uh and people would like write him hate mail I i think the one i remember was he's like the the top 10 worst songs of 2003 and it was just every song on uh u2's album from that year <laughs> uh which, which is funny i don't know he did a lot of things like that and, and he was uh uh pretty funny to me as a as a young boy uh which i'm sure now reflects poorly on me but um <laughs> it, it was it's definitely a good part of the old weird internet it's still up. I think he's. I I recently saw him on Twitter. Like this week, he's like he. I found out he still exists. So Maddox, the best page in the universe. Cool. Well, uh, on that note, um, I think we should uh, say goodbye. So um, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, next week we're going to be doing an episode talking about Dojo, and Suze is hosting that. So that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. And we'll have Dylan Dylan Sheeman on, who is the, the project lead for Dojo. Started with Alex Russell back in the day, but Alex Russell has since uh, moved on to service workers in Google and stuff. But uh, Dylan and I have an interesting history that, that I'll explain next week if I'm on the show. But I like Dylan a lot. Everyone should listen to that episode. I think that means you're going to be on the show, Alex, officially. Sorry to sorry to break it to you. <laughs> I'll, up, I'll up my, uh, my pay by 100%. <laughs> All right, thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor, share this show with a friend. Read us an Apple podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLaw. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLaw.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Most awkward goodbye. <laughs> Why was I the only one? <laughs>
Yeah, what the heck, guys? Come on, say goodbye. I was like, bye. <laughs> oh, because uh, they're going to cut that out anyways, so. Fine. Hey, but it's it's called socializing. <laughs> That's not what I'm here for. I'm not anyone's friend.